0: what is anxiety and stress? What effect does it have on our bodies? And how can we relieve ourselves from the stress or anxiety that we feel? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Stress and anxiety, two very real things that run through society, especially right now during this unprecedented time. We're currently facing the outbreak of COVID-19 globally. So there are a lot of reasons to feel uneasy. Many of us have concerns about our health and the health of our loved ones. We're saddened and confused by school closings, the economy, layoffs, and much more than that. We're also experiencing the feeling of not being able to leave our homes. So how can we deal with stress mindfully? How can we know what our stressors are and how can we help ourselves to feel better? Here to address the anxiety and fear many of us are facing right now is Dr. Wendy Dickinson. Dr. Dickinson is a licensed psychologist who received a PhD in counseling psychology from Georgia State University. She is the founder and executive director of Grow Counseling, a group of professionals who serve individuals, couples, families, and groups for concerns across the mental health spectrum. All right, Dr. Dickinson, I am really eager to hear all of your thoughts on this. So let's just get right into it. Starting off with the basics. It's so easy to feel anxiety, but what is it exactly from a clinical perspective?
1: Yeah, so anxiety is a um, biological response. We are hardwired for survival. And so anytime there is a fear stimulus, we get a biochemical response that says, Hey, be careful. Um, those can be more rationally based or they can be kind of irrationally based. Uh, but it's that, that feeling we get when you get tightness in your chest, your palms are sweaty, your thoughts are racing, and sometimes you just feel paralyzed.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned those physical responses. How does it manifest physically in the body? So you
1: see a lot of um, the best way to think about it is if you were being chased by a tiger Uh, Mm -hmm. your body goes into overdrive to make sure that your auxiliary auxiliary systems aren't working that all of your energy can go towards running from the tiger so basically our our sympathetic nervous system kind of kicks in and only the important things are functioning so that's why we see um an increase in your heart rate your palms get sweaty uh, we often see kind of sweating or people that feel short, shortness of breath, tightness in their chest, that kind of thing. Sometimes people even confuse it for having the symptoms
0: of a heart attack. Wow. What is the sympathetic nervous system?
1: It's the it's part of our body that engages our endocrine system, our, um, our, our other basic biological systems to make sure that we have what we need when we need it in the moment of a crisis.
0: So something that is super fascinating to me is the human brain. So how is our brain connected to our nervous system? Is it, are we, are we sending neurotransmitters? How does our body know to go into that fight or flight mode? Sure. So there's a part of our brain called the amygdala, and I like to talk to my
1: clients about it in terms of it being a lizard part of our brain. It's, it's the most primitive part of our brain, it's the same part that we share with animals. And it really, it drives all of those um, kind of gut instincts and reactions that we feel. It's very emotionally based. So it's where we feel anxiety, panic, fear. If we were to do a brain scan, we'd see that part, the amygdala, light up. What we know is that it's really impossible for the amygdala, amygdala to be lit up and for other parts of the brain to be functioning at high speed. So in other words, we're either emotional or the other part of our brain that's more cognitive, that makes more logical decisions is lit up, but they're not usually both lit up at the same time.
0: That's so interesting. So I know from a personal perspective, when I get stressed or anxious, I kind of get nauseous and a little bit of a stomach ache. When you talk about that gut instinct, What is causing that stomach pain or your stomach muscles to contract? Well, I think we're we're all at our core hardwired for survival.
1: So really what's happening is that we have a, a learning process that's occurred. It's the same thing that happens if we touch a hot stove. We usually only do it one time. We are we our body lays down a memory and a learning experience so that next time we're around a stove, we're probably pretty cautious. So that happens when we have, you know, emotional conflict with people. We have physical uh, conflict or stressors. One of the things that I find really interesting is that the brain actually doesn't know the difference between what's real and what we imagine. It's the reason that visualization is so powerful. You know, you hear about athletes visualizing their golf swing or, um, a, a, you know, football se- sequence or something our brain is laying down all those memories and biochemical responses as if it's really happening, even if we're imagining it. So, if, Really? If, That's why I have such vivid daydreams. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so if we sit around imagining all these kind of worst case scenarios, you probably find your body responding as if something's actually happening. It's part of the reason, like, if you're having a dream in the middle of the night someone's chasing you or something and you wake up and the sheets are all a wreck and you you're kind of sweaty and your heart's racing. It's because your body thought that it was actually happening.
0: Wow. I, I, that makes so much sense to me. So I guess my question to that then is, When I, for example, if I'm daydreaming about something, I'm in Arizona, I'm looking out the window and I'm picturing maybe I'm visualizing myself walking and climbing the mountain. What's keeping my body from actually walking out the front door and thinking that's real? If if it can't tell the difference between reality and non-reality... How does our body know how to respond? Well, it's a good question. There, There is a difference between the neuro, neurons, the neurotransmitters
1: that you talked about in terms of actually engaging our physical body to walk out the door. What's not different is the memory pattern that's laid down. So oh. it feels like it's real, even if it's not. It's more on the emotional side. Um, sometimes I work with couples in conflict, and it's interesting because I'll have a a couple come in and i'll just gender stereotype for a minute but this isn't always true but a lot of times um if it's a male and a female the females had lots of emotional reaction to whatever the argument was that they had. And the male's kind of like, I mean, I think we had that once, right? Like, didn't we have it? And we sort of settled it. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is she's emotionally, she's rehearsed it in her mind over and over again, thinking about it, processing it, talking to people. And so her body actually does feel like they thought about it maybe a thousand times when really it, it was something that maybe only happened once or twice.
0: Got it. So what, what is the difference between stress and anxiety? They're probably largely interchangeable. Um,
1: stress, I would say, is a little more focused on the actual demands that we face. So we experience stress whenever our perception of a demand is higher than our perception of our ability to cope with it. So there's there's always some anxiety involved in stress. We can sometimes experience anxiety on its own without having a demand that's facing us. Usually that means it's something, again, that we've kind of visualized or imagined versus something that's actually a real life stressor.
0: Okay, so right now, we're all social distancing. There's a really uncertain time with the coronavirus. It's really normal to feel alone, maybe stress and anxiety. So how can people mitigate the symptoms of those two things while social distancing in their own homes?
1: That's great. It's a great question. So for the first thing I would say is that the number one thing that insulates us, if you think about the progression of stress, crisis to trauma the number one thing that insulates us from moving from crisis to trauma is a relational connection. And so this idea that we're socially disconnecting is actually pretty damaging right now. What we're really talking about is physical disconnection or physical distance. And so I'd love to see the conversation kind of shift a little bit to considering how we can intentionally, relationally connect with each other during this time, because that's gonna be the thing that insulates us from feeling isolation, loneliness, increased anxiety, fear that leads to trauma.
0: So that would be my so, Yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's, can we brainstorm for a second on ideas for people? Because- <laughs> Yeah, so people can maybe group Facetime. They can Zoom. Well, I've just heard about that term. There's a there's an app called House Party where people can all Facetime at once. Do you have any other ideas? Let's try to help people. Absolutely. I think
1: any any kind of social media. I was actually thinking this morning about how different this experience would have been, even probably five or ten years ago. Um, mm. The isolation rates would have been astronomical. So I think social media during this time is absolutely our friend. I, I Facetime my little nephew the other night and he read me a book over FaceTime and it was Aww. fantastic. I mean, it was wonderful. So social media for sure, any kind of technology, but I think there's also the old school. If you live in an apartment, go out on the balcony and kind of talk to your neighbor, you know, or if you're in a home, walk out to the front yard and, you know, kind of have a loud conversation with your neighbor across the fence. Uh, <laughs> Or write a letter to somebody, you know, it doesn't I think the process of connection doesn't always have to be real time. You know, you think about, um, you know, ages ago in our history before we had email and, you know, all kinds of things. We were we were prolific letter writers to people. So I, I think it really is a just about being intentional. And when you're intentional, you, you feel like you're making a, a, a step towards connection.
0: I love that you say that because I feel like social media can be used obviously for good and for bad. Sure. But I also feel like our generation, our world today is kind of lost to sight of some old school values. Mm-hmm. So the idea of writing a letter or the idea of my neighbor just walked by and I waved. I'm at my parents house. Yeah. So I should say their neighbor, but it's, <laughs> it's, you're preserving these things that probably help with stress and, and anxiety as well because human connection is everything, not just physically, but on a deeper level.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The idea that we would be disconnected because we have to stay six feet away from each other is is, um, not helpful, right? Right, right. Now, can stress ever be positive? So I think that there's always an opportunity with stress. Um, Actually, the um, kind of big picture interpretation of the Chinese word, ironically, for crisis is danger that leads us to a point of opportunity or a point of choice.
0: And so No way. Yeah, That's the Chinese
1: word for stress. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's sometimes That's incredible. You know, it is like a combination of danger and opportunity, but I think a more accurate interpretation is sort of this this if you imagine a pathway that leads you to a point, a choice point. So there are plenty of opportunities here in this next 2 weeks, 4 weeks if we look closely enough. That's not to minimize that there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of fear. This is very serious. But in the midst of all of that we have time to slow down and do some things that we maybe have on our to-do list, or like we were talking about, connect with some people, or rest, you know? How many of us would love to take a nap every day and have time to do that, right? Yes. I, I think, again, if we're creative, to me it comes back to this idea of creativity. What is it that would help fill that time. And the thing of it is, it's not a one size fits all approach. So what works for you may not be the same thing that works for me. Maybe you're a to do list person and you want to get a lot of projects done. Maybe somebody else is a sit in the sunshine person and take a deep breath and, you know, maybe read a chapter in a book. So I I think it's really important to check in with yourself and think about what works for me, what brings me life.
0: Right. So I have two questions kind of to that extent. What, what can long term stress like self isolation do to us as a society? And what changes are you expecting to see when we eventually return to normal life? Um well
1: I I think the first question is that trauma piece that we were talking about. Over time, isolation, I mean it's a form of torture, right? So yes. it, it ultimately can lead to some really damaging outcomes and I think that's why it's so important for us to be really proactive. About making sure that we are are engaging in active self care, we've on our website we've just released a free ebook that anyone can download that has a lot of ideas around self care. So it, it, they're basically the things that we're doing to make sure that we're going to be okay and getting through a really difficult time. Um, the second question about kind of what I expect to see, I, I think I would answer it in a in a more hopeful way, like what I hope to see. I hope that people take this idea of having some slow time and being able to connect with people and, and incorporate that into whatever, you know, return to normal or new normal that we have after all of this. I think it would be really sad if we just jumped right back into life. And, you know, most of us run, I include myself, full steam ahead and, miss out on these opportunities to kind of proverbially smell the roses and, you know, connect with people. And so I'm hopeful that something that people get in touch with that feels positive during this time, maybe it is better self care strategies, maybe it's exercising more that maybe there's some, some habits or some behaviors that they can pull into um, a new normal that really help nourish themselves.
0: Yeah. I'm hoping too, that we learn something during this time. I know there are memes all the time saying, Oh, Mondays, I hate Mondays. Mm -hmm. And now people are like, Oh, I would live for a Monday where I can go into work and and actually go outside my house because I think we overlook certain things. And I think people have the tendency to not always be happy um, because they're, they're taking for granted the simple things in life. So hopefully this shows people the simple things in life as well. I
1: completely agree. I think it's well said. And I saw somebody that uh, tweeted that they when when this was all over they were going to run out in the street and throw a party and high five everyone give everyone a hug and I was like I kind of love that picture of celebration right like are we invited absolutely
0: let's do it (laughs) let's go together perfect (laughs) all right we've got to step aside for a quick recess but we'll be back right after this. Talking long-term, I know we talked about maybe once society is back to normal, what that'll be like. But on the human body, if someone's not able to manage their stress and anxiety now, what can they see long-term or what will they see long-term on their physical health?
1: Yeah, stress can take a toll in a lot of different physical ways. Actually, the American Medical Association says that stress contributes to 75% of the illnesses that we see today. So on an immediate application, we know that stress impacts, directly impacts our immune functioning in a negative way. The more mm-hmm. stress you have, the less uh, your, high functioning your immune system is. So, you know, I, I think long term, you see stress contribute to things like high blood pressure, heart attacks, um, autoimmune diseases. So there's there's a wide range of things. In addition to just kind of making you feel bad, it it runs you down, it affects your sleep, it you know, prevents you from losing weight and feeling active. So, you know, it can contribute to depression as well. I don't think I've mentioned that so far. So, you know, I think that there are a lot of wide ranging effects if people aren't careful to do the things that will help them get through it. And coping resources are really the things that help to insulate us from those negative impacts of stress.
0: So what's the worst thing someone can do for anxiety if they do have it? And what's the best thing? I think the worst thing is to
1: just sit in it, not ask for help, not change your mood state, not do something different, not take care of yourself. So if you, if you basically just sit with it and think about it and focus on it, that's probably the worst thing because it's going to compound itself. The better thing to do is to try some of these positive coping things that we've talked about. And they can be as small as like light a candle, take a bath, go out outside and sit in the sunshine, um, Exercise is proven to be a number one way to deal with stress. It burns off all those stress hormones we were talking about earlier. And actually some research shows that if you get your heart rate up for as little as 30 minutes a day, Uh, every day that it's the same thing as taking an antidepressant a a low dose of an antidepressant 30 minutes that's it high heart rate 30 minutes go for a brisk walk it doesn't have to be (laughs) you know body pump or (laughs) something yeah you know so i always say to my clients like just get moving if you're still feeling anxious after you've moved a little bit reach out to somebody call a friend who brings life um there's an interesting psychological concept called emotional contagion which I think is really relevant right now because we're talking Contagion about is definitely relevant. <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah. the, it's the idea that emotions are contagious and unfortunately, negative emotions, anxiety, fear, stress, panic are more contagious than positive ones. And so when we call somebody, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, you talk to somebody and you were doing fine, then you talk to them and your anxiety goes up and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, now I'm freaked out about everything. So I think we need to pay attention to who are our support people who bring us life, who help us feel grounded. Call those people when you're feeling stress and anxiety. Maybe stay away from the people that don't bring life.
0: That's actually a great, that's a great thing because there are a wide variety of people in our lives and choosing the ones that bring light. And if you're lucky enough to have those people in your life, which I know I am, that's a really helpful, helpful thing. Exactly. You know, I think other just
1: kind of self hygiene things, you know, take a shower every day. It's really helpful and get enough sleep, try to eat some vegetables, drink plenty of water. What about meditation? Absolutely helpful. Really helpful. A lot of apps online. You have a favorite? Calm is really great. We love calm. There's also one called Headspace that we love Headspace. Yeah. So those are great. And even if you just do five minutes, sometimes I'll recommend to clients do five minutes, three times a day. It's not an overwhelming amount. You don't have to sit down and bite off an hour-long meditation. In fact, I recommend against that if you're not an experienced.
0: Yeah. Starts Well, even sorry, even if it's a five minute meditation, you're establishing a routine. And I think that a routine probably is something for people to look forward to. I think one of the biggest issues during self quarantine is that there's not a lot of variety in a day to look forward to necessarily. So if you establish a routine that actually gives you something totally agree. So the things that
1: make stress um, go up are a sense of the unknown, something that's unpredictable, And something that has an indefinite timeline. So So right now, (laughs) everything we're dealing with. So yeah, a routine is really helpful. It helps bring some sense of control and predictability. Again, I would say, think about what works for you. For some people who are very structured, having a really, you know, moment by moment kind of TikTok timeline helps. For other people, having sort of a ballpark timeline helps. But I've been saying to people, don't approach this as a weekend or a vacation because it's not really the same thing. Having a little bit more structure will be helpful to you as we deal with kind of an indefinite timeline here.
0: What would you say to someone who thinks their anxiety will never go away?
1: I think that anxiety is uh, manageable and we can usually help people figure out how to live in a way that they're not uh, burdened by it. If they reach out for help, if they don't reach out for help, they don't reach out to a therapist or kind of do the work to understand what's going on. Cause it can, the etiology of anxiety can come from different sources. It can be really rooted in biochemistry. And so they may need some neurotransmitters to help balance out their biochemistry, but it could be something related more to past trauma or, to a perspective shift that they need to have. And so there are a lot of different things that we could do. I would say don't live with anxiety um, unnecessarily. It's, it's exhausting.
0: It really is exhausting. When it comes to teens and adolescents, have you seen a rise in anxiety in recent years? And of course, right now is probably a huge contributor as well. Absolutely. We have
1: seen the rates go up and up and up and up um, with teens. I think part of that is because I think there are a couple of pieces. One is the fast pace of life that we're all living in, teens included. There's all kinds of practices and uh, sports and hobbies and lessons and tutors and all kinds of things. I think there's a lot of pressure on the school front. Um, we, we're we in metro Atlanta, so we, we see that all over the place, just the intense pressure that kids are living under. Um, and social media plays a huge role in that. There's a constant comparison game that happens and people are either left out or they're included or they're not. That always happened even before social media, but it <laughs> wasn't in our face all the time, right? Now it's this 24-7 cycle that you really can't get away from unless you put the phone down. And that's extremely hard to do. So we've, we've definitely seen an increase. I would say teens and adults included, if, if we look at a scale of like green, yellow, red, red being the sort of danger, you know, crisis zone, most of us live, most Americans live in yellow, if not kind of orange. So it doesn't take a lot to push us from yellow or orange into the red zone.
0: Do you think that it's a tendency to self-diagnose anxiety disorders while social distancing? And do you think that's a, a bad thing to do or a good thing to do? Well, I think I think it's
1: really important to be aware of what's going on with you. So, on that front, checking in with yourself, noticing if something feels different, paying attention to what your body's telling you. Sometimes your body tells you things before you actually are aware of them. Cognitively, I think that's great. Um, you know, what we see a lot are people who've said, "Well, I've gone on WebMD and." That kind of thing is not <laughs> usually helpful because if you give somebody a list of 25 symptoms, they're probably going to fit some of them, even if it's not an accurate diagnosis. So what I would say is pay attention and reach out for help if it feels like there's, you know, the balance is starting to shift and, and things feel unbalanced or out of control. There are a lot of therapists that are doing online Telemental health, the fancy way of saying phone calls and video conferencing and that kind of thing. Um, So even if you're at home, it doesn't mean that you're alone in this.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important to understand as well. You're never alone. I think people probably feel that right now, especially. So is there any final advice you have to help people during this time of such uncertainty? You know, I would just
1: go back to uh, highlight one of the things we talked about earlier, which is be creative take advantage of this opportunity, and really look for positive things. One of the things that I'm suggesting to my clients is uh, creating a gratitude journal. Because if we it, there's a psychological concept called confirmatory bias. And basically, it just says that we find what we're looking for. So if we're looking for all the scary things, if we're looking for all the bad things, that's what we're going to notice. But if we're on an active hunt, a sort of scavenger hunt, if you will, to find the positive and the things we can be grateful for—they might be small. Today in Atlanta, it's a really sunny day, and I'm grateful for that. Um, we've had a lot of rain, so I'm excited to see the sun. So I, it doesn't—they don't have to be big things, but if you can spend your day looking for the positive things, it's again going to
0: help you feel life, and it's going to help you feel more balanced. Mm-hmm. I'm extremely grateful for you giving us all this information because <laughs> I already feel better. And I hope that our listeners do as well. And I, you, you really gave a lot of great things for people to be practicing during social distancing. So thank you so much for thank joining you. us, well, Dr. Dickinson.
1: Yeah, and I'm so happy to be able to be helpful to people during this time.
0: Yeah, I might write you a letter. That's going to be one of my things I do today. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, stay safe, stay healthy. And thanks thank again you. for joining us. Thank you, you too. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about stress and anxiety. Anxiety is a biological response. Everyone experiences stress and anxiety at some point, and it's very normal to feel that amidst the coronavirus, so you should never feel alone. According to Dr. Dickinson, 30 minutes of increasing your heart rate can be as effective as taking an antidepressant. The brain actually doesn't know the difference between what is real and what is not. Use this time to maintain relationships, even if it's not in person. Write a letter. Be creative. Yell outside to your neighbor. Call a friend or family member who brings you light and happiness. There are so many ways to combat this stress and anxiety that we are feeling. And we are in this together. Right now, we have a unique opportunity to strengthen the bond of our society and overcome the stress and anxiety that can feel so isolating. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com and don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed.